The atonement is designed to bring you to God. To bring you to God. So let's read, shall we? Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And read this wonderful verse filled with the truths of the atonement. Here's what it says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son who died to bring us to you. Lord, I pray that I would have the grace to preach this message, Lord, the way you want it preached. And I pray that those listening, both here in the auditorium, perhaps those will be listening later through a tape recording, through the internet, Lord, that they would receive your word so that both of us would hear from you concerning your redemption, your atonement of us. Father, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ died to bring us to God. We are brought to God by the suffering of Jesus Christ. That is what this message is all about. We are brought to God by the suffering of Jesus Christ. We have been teaching about the atonement for about 16 weeks. We've entitled the teaching, The One for the Many. And this passage speaks of the one, Jesus Christ, who suffered once and for all for the many, the unrighteous, those who were separated from God, in order to bring them to God. This one, Jesus Christ, what he accomplished on the cross is called the atonement. The atonement. And this passage captures the doctrine of the atonement like perhaps no other passage. In fact, one commentator says it this way. He says that this passage is perhaps the shortest and the simplest, yet the richest of summaries of the cross. Of the cross. And the cross is the place where the atonement took place. And so let's take a quick look at the meaning of this word atonement. This meaning of the word atonement. Let me read you a definition. You'll be able to read it here on the screen. The atonement is the following. God gave himself in the person of his son to suffer instead of us the death, punishment, and curse due to fallen humanity as the penalty of sin. God, God gave himself in the person of his son, that would be Jesus Christ, to suffer instead of us the death, punishment, and curse due to fallen humanity as the penalty of sin. The doctrine of the atonement is found in these verses. The doctrine of the atonement is found in these verses. When it says in verse 18, the very first word, for Christ also suffered once for sins. This is God. Christ is God, second person of the Trinity, who gave himself, who came and suffered for you and for me. So it answers this question of 
the who of atonement. Jesus is the one who came and suffered for you and for me. Now, what did he do? How did he suffer? Well, the scripture says that he suffered by dying for us. Dying for us. He gave his life to pay the penalty that you and I deserved. Christ Jesus came, God, to die for you so that you then, a result of his death, might be brought to God. This is the atonement. This is the doctrine of the atonement. This, this is the richness of this scripture this morning. Here, here is, what, is what God is wanting to communicate to us this morning. The one, Christ, dying for the many, the unrighteous, to bring his people to God. And he not only died for us, but at the end of this passage, what does it say? He, he rose again. He's alive. Did you know that Jesus lives right now? Did you know that he sent his Holy Spirit to communicate to you and to me the beauty, the reality of the atonement? Now you might be sitting here and saying, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, here's what it has to do with you. I believe that God wants to communicate to you personally this morning his desire to bring you to himself. That, that because Jesus rose from the dead and because Jesus then ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit who is with us this morning. He sent the Holy Spirit to communicate to us the truths about himself. And so in this rich section of scripture, he comes and he communicates to us the truths of the atonement. He applies the truths of the atonement to our lives. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. This passage is speaking of something that occurred in the past. So it has a past tense. If you were to read this and understand Greek and understand the grammar of it, it's in the past tense. Jesus died already and he brought you to the Father already in his death. But this past tense, past tense reality has a present tense application. Did you get that? I mean, it's not like I am sharing anything new to you, I don't think. Jesus died for your sins. But you know what may be new for you? Is the present tense application of it. The fact that God wants to bring you to himself. Now, now some of us here would consider ourselves very close to God. Some of us here would be thinking, I'm not sure I want to be brought to God. It's kind of like when you're in school and you do something wrong and they say, oh, we want to bring you to the principal. Say, no, thank you. (laughs) There may be some here with that thinking. I'm not sure I want to go to God. I'm not sure I'm good enough. I'm not sure the reception I'm going to get there. And then there's others of us that maybe have been with the Father, but we've grown a little cold. We're going to explore this in a moment. Instead of trusting in what Christ did for us, which is called the atonement, what some of us do, and this is 
ever so subtle, instead of receiving Christ's atonement, we engage in something that's called self-atonement. Self-atonement. We're going to explore that in just a moment. And when we engage in self-atonement, do you know what the result is? Rather than being brought close to God, it separates us from God. Because self-atonement always fails, and then when we fail, we feel guilty, and we feel guilty, we run from God. So I suspect in this auditorium, there's probably a good number that are in that group, and there may be a few that's in the first group. I'm not sure I want to come to God. But here's the point. As we explore this passage, Jesus died, he suffered, the righteous for the unrighteous. He suffered for sins, not his own, but yours and mine. And he suffered, he died, to bring us to God. So was his death effective? Yes. Do we need to apply that death to our lives and that resurrection? Yes. Do we need to do it every day? Yes. Did this occur in the past? Oh, yes. Is this a truth that is spoken of once and for all? Definitely. But does that past tense have a present application? Yes. So let's apply it, shall we? You're supposed to say, yes. Okay. I know this is chin-chilling and spine-tingling. Just don't get so excited. It scares me, actually. All right. Guys, let's look at this scripture a little bit more in depth, shall we? I had, a good, I had a good friend. Yes, there you go. Just keep saying yes. That will encourage me. I had a good friend this week uh, wonderfully serve me in this. And I had a great time exploring yet again this passage. Because if we can get the passage back up, great. This passage <clears throat> was written by Peter. And it was written by Peter, who actually was the pastor of the church in Rome, to a bunch of Christians that, would, that were horribly suffering. So do you see this first line here where it says, for Christ also suffered? The also is there for a reason. He's writing to people that are suffering. And as a matter of fact, we don't have time to go there, but if you were to go back into chapter 2, you might want to just write this down on your notes, on your hand, on your forehead, on your neighbor's forehead, whatever. Whatever you need to do. That was a joke if you're a guest. Okay, don't, don't do that. These guys are a cult. Um, if you look at, at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, you will find the same terminology, Christ suffered. The reason for that is because we're in this section of Scripture that is talking about people who are suffering and God is wanting to encourage people who are suffering that, hey, suffer well, persevere in your suffering because you know what? Christ suffered for you. Christ suffered for you. Isn't that wonderful? That has application. As a matter of fact, Jose um, Prado, who's actually translating for me right now, so his voice is the one you're hearing if you're receiving a translation. Yes, Lord. <laughs> it's not good when heaven hangs up on you, though, you know. <laughs> oh, wrong number. That's just out. Uh, Jose Prado, who's translating for me right around the corner here outside, he preached two weeks ago, and he preached a message a very wonderful message concerning Christ suffering for us. And, and, and these are his notes. And, and the propositional statement of his message was, endure righteous suffering by trusting God who judges, judges justly. And that message was from 1 Peter 2, 18 to 25. This passage goes with that message. Its primary application to the 
original audience by the original author was, hey guys, hang in there, persevere. Jesus suffered for you, suffer well. By the way, he suffered for you to make, to bring you to God. Past tense, has a present reality. Rejoice in your suffering. You're going to make it. Put your hope in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? But this passage also has a rich theological understanding of the atonement that we can apply today in the fact that he brought us to God, and this is contained in Peter as well, so that we would obey God. Because, see, the people he was writing to were tempted to stop obeying because obeying was causing them to suffer. If you remember Jose's message two weeks ago, you suffer because you're doing what's righteous. And so they were tempted to stop obeying, and he's saying, no, keep obeying, persevere, live a radical life that is different than those around you, And in so doing, you will bear witness to Christ. Now, Corey preached that message last week. That's right. If you remember Corey's message last week, he he preached a message entitled Costly Discipleship, a New Year's Challenge. And his propositional statement was, live differently as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so contained in here is that message as, as well. It speaks to us. Hey, hey, obey God. Hey, persevere in your suffering. Hey, trust the Lord, even if you're suffering unjustly. Hey, obey God so that as you obey him in your marriage, as you obey him in your parenting, as you obey him in your work, you're going to bear testimony to Jesus. Because that's what Jesus did. He suffered for you and me to do that. So what a rich panorama of meaning. But as I was praying about this message this morning, actually praying during the week, you know what I sense the Lord wanted to give us? sort of a trifecta, okay? Two weeks ago, it was endure suffering because Jesus suffered and God who judges justly, he'll, he'll take care of you. And then last week, costly discipleship, obey, even though it's difficult, I'll be with you. But you know what I felt this week God wanted to communicate to us? I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Not, not just... Listen to me, not just the theological truth that Jesus died for us 2,000 years ago, what we call the objective facts of the gospel, past tense, but the subjective application of the gospel, present tense. I'm with you. I proved it when I died for you. I proved it when I rose from the dead. I proved it when I ascended into heaven. I proved it when I gave the Holy Spirit. And that was 2,000 years ago. And you have a record of it in Holy Scripture. But now as well, I want there to be a record of it in your holy lives. Because though you were once the unrighteous, because of what Christ has done, you are righteous. Though as righteous, we still sometimes act unrighteously. But we are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what Jesus accomplished. And so God wants to encourage you. Listen, God wants to do two things, I believe, in this message. He wants to encourage you of the theological truths of this passage, but then he wants to encourage you with the application of it. He died to bring you to God. At the end of this message, it would be great if all of us say, let's go, let's go. We're going to have a great opportunity, by the way, for that uniquely 
this coming week is a week of prayer and fasting. What greater, greater, better application than to spend a week dedicating yourself to pray and fast? Not, by the way, so that you can gain God's approval. No, 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 no. Remember the past tense truth? Jesus died already. He took my sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that we might be brought to God. No, but based on the fact that Jesus brings me to God, and I'm accepted before God because of what Christ did. Remember, that's the the atonement. I can now seek God. You know what I felt? That during this week, God is going to give us a unique experience of himself. Do you have faith for that? I sense that some of us who are suffering are going to be experiencing God's comfort in ways perhaps we never have before. I, exp- I sense for some of the men in the church that have been in bondage to sin, perhaps secret sin, God is going to give you a sense of his own presence and a deliverance and a freedom you've never known. I sense for some of the ladies in the church who maybe wrestle with anxiety and fear and what am I going to do, whether with our finances or with my family or, or with relationships in my, in my home, and God is going to meet you and bring you to himself. And you're going to experience something in him that's going to overshadow all that. I think that's what God wants to do at Palm Vista this week. And I think that the doctrine of the atonement is the gospel foundation, past tense, upon which the gospel application, present tense, will take place. So it's not an empty promise. But it's it's a realized reality right now. Don't we need that? Oh, we do. (laughs) Particularly in these uncertain times. But even if there were certain times, we would need it. Even if there were certain times, we would need it. So, let me encourage you in this. Let me encourage you in this. Christ suffered for you to bring you to God. God's purpose this morning is to bring you to himself. The doctrine of the atonement, 16 weeks of talking about the atonement is designed so that you would understand you now have access to God. You have a place to come to God. Jesus Christ died so that you would not have to atone for your own sins, but rather he atoned for them. You've got a place. There is a door that's wide open. That's what 16 weeks on the atonement It should be working in our hearts. And today and this week, we need to run through that door with all of our hearts and all of our minds. So let's talk about being brought to God. Shall we? Let's talk about it. Some of us, thank you. Some of us, he just woke up to say yes. He knew yes was what he was supposed to say. Some of us, like that disobedient child in class, are saying, I don't want to be brought to God. I, I, I had the privilege, as the pastor, I have the privilege of caring for folks' souls, and in caring for folks' souls, I often get into conversations with them that are very private and very heartfelt. And just recently, someone looked me in the eyes, and they said, I don't know my position before God, and they started weeping and actually wailing and saying, I don't feel I'm good enough. Now, if human beings are honest, we would all say that that runs through our minds. Okay? So if that's you here this morning, I want to talk to you just for a moment. 
you aren't good enough. That's why this scripture is so precious to us. Someone that was good enough had to take our penalty. All scripture talks about for you to do is to change your mind about trying to be good enough and accept what he's done. His past tense sacrifice for you coming into a present tense application in your life. It's called repentance and faith. It's called many things, conversion. It's called trusting God. But for the bulk of us, I just want to remind us again, our temptation, our temptation is to say, yeah, I've got a place with God, but I suspect because he knows what I've been doing, he's not real happy with me. So I know he's going to let me in heaven. And I know that I'm a believer, but I don't think he's very happy with me. Kind of like a a child that's disobeyed the parent and they hear the parent's voice. They don't want to be in the same room with the parent because they're going to get an earful. They may even get a, a severe discipline. They'd rather just be, you know, I'm part of the family. I've got your last name. Thank you for feeding me. When I get old enough, you'll let me drive the car. Hopefully you'll pay for college, but... A real close relationship right now with mommy and daddy, don't think that's going to be possible. And so we believe God, but we're at an arm's distance. We've got the intellectual understanding, but we're at an arm's distance. And then what we engage in, folks, is the most destructive thing of all. We engage in this thing called self-atonement. Can I talk to you for a moment about that? There's many terms. Thank you, Cindy. There's many terms for self-atonement. One of them is called legalism. One of them is called being self-righteous. We can get even a little bit more guttural here, okay? Self-righteous, pharisaical jerk. You know, stuff like that, okay? (laughs) It's the thing that so many non-Christians look at Christians as. People who believe the right thing, but it's not really here. It's here. And it comes from not believing this and thinking, God will like me a little bit more if I do a little bit more. It's it's smuggling in, okay? My own works as the ticket to get in to God's presence. And I don't see that anywhere in that scripture, do you? But we do it. We smuggle it in. And when we start doing that, we, there's two things that happen. We either think that we're succeeding, and we are those self-righteous, pharisaical jerks, or we suddenly, real, suddenly realize that we can't, and we become these licentious, oh, woe is me, kill me now, God, slobs. It's kind of like someone that's manic depressive, you know? They think they can, and so they're manic. <laughs> And then when they go, they crash, they're depressive. They go crawl up in the fetal position somewhere and suck their thumb and, you know, no one sees them for a week. That's how we are spiritually. We, we forget this, so we try to get into God's good graces by what we do. In the manic phase, we're just, we're not fun to be around. And of course, we're seeing everybody else's sin and We're just, we're God. (laughs) Welcome to my little universe. And then when we fail, no one sees us for a week or two or three or four. (laughs) We go just sin like crazy, you know? (laughs) Just like, and people say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you Christians? 
right? I mean, can you relate to this? You're perfect for a while. And then you're, you're Satan for a while. Then you're perfect for a while. And you're Satan for a while. You know? It's like, could you like make up your mind which one you are? <laughs> well, what, what's happening is we have descended into self-atonement. And you know what? One of the first ways you can discern if you've descended into that is you will find yourself lacking joy. Joy is gone. She packed her bags and left. Okay? And you're just a grumpy, stumpy, mean-spirited Christian. Okay? So if you find yourself there, and God is a distant, hard-line parent, taskmaster, coach, whatever, boss, whatever you want to say, who you know you're part of, but he's not real happy with you, if that's where you're at, you know what this week's an opportunity of for you? To believe this and draw near to God and receive from him. Okay? All right. So, how do we do that? Well, before I get into the how we do that, which really is going to conclude this message, I want to read to you a very lengthy quote. Good news about this lengthy quote is you're going to be able to read it with me from the screen. Better news about this lengthy quote is that it's going to be available on our website. Thank you in advance, Lenny, because I sent it to you this morning. And uh, we're going to post it along with the audio of the message. But I want to read it to you. It it comes from an excellent book called Christ Died to Bring Us, excuse me, 50 Ways Why Jesus Came to Die for Our Sins. And it's actually from a a meditation on 1 Peter 3.18 by John Piper entitled Christ Died to Bring Us to God. So read it there along with me silently. Enjoy this. I believe this is God's heart for us this morning. Okay, folks? When all is said and done, God is the gospel. Gospel means good news. Christianity is not first theology. It's not first theology. It's not less than theology. It's far more. But news. News. It is like prisoners of war hearing by hidden radio that the Allies have landed. And rescue is only a matter of time. And the guards are wondering why all the rejoicing. See, if you think about it, that's what Peter is saying to people that are suffering, right? They're prisoners of war, aliens on this earth. They're having a lot of suffering, and someone whispers in their ear, they just landed, and you're going to be rescued. And they're like, yeah! And the the guards are going, we've just beaten you. Why are you rejoicing? (laughs) Because I know something you don't know. (laughs) I'm getting out of here. Now, for some of us, we don't get out of here until we die or Jesus comes back, and we'll suffer until then. But what does that matter for an eternity of rejoicing with God? That's the point here, okay? But hang with me, because it gets better. But, what is the ultimate good in the good news? Have you ever asked yourself that? What's the ultimate good in the good news? If God is the gospel, the gospel is news, good news, what's the ultimate good in the good news? It all ends in one thing, God himself. Stay with me here, especially if you've been a believer all your life. You grew up in the church. You've got a lot of great theology. You've got a lot of great principles. You've got a lot of great things you want. But do you want God? You want God. (laughs) He wants you. Do you want God? All the words of the gospel lead to him or they are not gospel. For example, salvation is not good news if it only saves from hell and not for God. Forgiveness is not good news if it only gives relief from guilt and doesn't open the way to God. 
Justification is not good news if it only makes us legally acceptable to God, but doesn't bring, catch this, fellowship with God. Some of us want to go in the courtroom, get the legal justification, and then leave. Say, God, thanks. I don't want to hang out with you. Thank you. That's not the gospel. That's an Americanized self-help program. Very popular, but not the gospel. Redemption is not good news if it only liberates us from bondage, but doesn't bring us to God. Okay, you're free from drugs. You're free from pornography. You're free from gambling, whatever you're free from. But you're free from that to belong to God. (laughs) He's our creator. Adoption is not good news. Oh, I love this one. Adoption is not good news if it only puts us in the Father's family, but not in his arms. Are you in his arms this morning? Or do you think he's so mad at you that he doesn't want you in his arms? That he rejects you, like unfortunately many of us have done to our children when they disobey us. Or our parents have done to us when we disobey them. You see, when we disobey God, he points to the cross and he comes and hugs us. Is he hugging you? Or is he just sort of out there? You're in his family, but he's a distant relative. This is crucial. Many people seem to embrace the good news without embracing God. That can happen to us, guys. It's called religiosity, religion. There is no, I love this next one, there is no sure evidence that we have a new heart just because we want to escape hell. That's a perfectly natural desire. Not a supernatural one. I want to escape hell. Oh, wow, I see the life of God in you. No, I don't. It's just logic. Come burn me forever with torment or escape from hell. Which one would you like? Oh, I'll take the burning forever, thank you. It doesn't take a new heart to want the psychological relief of forgiveness or the removal of God's wrath or the inheritance of God's world. All these things are understandable without any spiritual change. And unfortunately, many people are sitting in churches without any spiritual change and want all those things. But it's not about God. It's just about their comfort, their security, their conscience being absolved. Oh, that's not the gospel. (laughs) You don't need to be born again to want these things. The devils want them. It is not wrong to want them. Indeed, it is folly not to. But, but, but. But the evidence that we have been changed is that we want these things because they bring us to the enjoyment of God. Listen, our youth group, the goal of our youth group isn't that our youth stay out of trouble, stay out of jail, graduate from high school, get good SAT scores, go to the best colleges, get the best jobs, don't get pregnant out of wedlock, don't do drugs, don't, do, don't drink. That's not our goal. It's not. You can have all that and be as far from God as someone who's totally involved with that. Our goal are men and women, yes, men and women in their teens that are passionate for Jesus, that want God. Imagine that. Imagine that. I don't want God apart from Jesus, but I want him because Jesus had mercy on me and suffered and died for me. So with all my imperfections, I can tell I want God. I want God. I want to want him more. That's what this coming week's about, but I want him. This is the greatest thing Christ died for. Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. 
Are you willing to be brought to God? Do we embrace God? Friends, will we go to God? Will we, will we take the past tense reality of what Jesus did once and for all on the cross, which is what this passage talks about, and, and this gospel fact, and will we then let that gospel fact inform our present reality? Do we want God? Do you want God? I'm not talking are you perfect, you're not. I'm not talking are you happy? In one sense, I don't care. Although I'm a happy guy, so eventually you'll get happy. But do you want God? That's what this is about. <laughs> All right. I'll calm down. Wonderful opportunity to want God. Now comes a little bit of the application. Based on this truth, my friends, not because we're trying to self-atone, but because of what Jesus has done for us, I want to invite you to some real practical application. If you're a guest, uh, this uh, look, thanks for coming. This is a radical Sunday. We're going to be talking about something now that you're thinking, these guys are weird, okay? Let me be clear. This does not get you God. What gets you God is what Jesus did, okay? This does not earn you brownie points before God. But you know what this does do? This is a door that he's opened for you to walk through to experience more of God. And there's no joy greater than than the joy of God. Okay? So let me talk to you about fasting and then we're going to, I'll close in a prayer and then we're going to close in a final song which is one of my favorite songs. Let me talk to you about this. We have confidence to enter God's presence because of what Christ has done. So starting on Tuesday... Uh, And some of you may want to start tomorrow, but Tuesday at lunch, Wednesday, Thursday at noon, all three of those days, we're going to be praying in the office. Wednesday night, we'll be praying at the Fabregas home. Thank you in advance. We're going to pack that place out. We're going to make your neighbors mad. We're going to have so many cars in that neighborhood. We'll pray for them afterwards. Um, And then ending with Friday morning prayer, we're going to be praying. Now, the Bible talks about fasting. I don't have time. And nor do I think I need to read this because it's so well done. But this is for you to take home. This is a little primer on fasting. It's biblical. It has a website on the bottom there from uh, www.biblicalspirituality.org that you can go to and read more from this gentleman. His name is Don Whitney. Donald Whitney's excellent on the spiritual disciplines. Uh, Corey Smidgen uh, blogged this, this week on his blog on the internet on our website on fasting. Excellent blog. Read it this morning. Thank you, Corey. And uh, this will help you. Let me challenge you in something. Because God made a way to be with him, would you consider fasting this week? Now, for some, that's going to mean totally doing without any solid foods. I would not suggest anybody does a total fast. There are those in the scripture. Those are rare. Those, I would not suggest this. That's everything, food and water. Do not do that, okay? They will find you on the side of the road somewhere. <laughs> Call 911. <laughs> but, but some of you may, may, you've never done this. Maybe take a couple of days and just drink fluids, okay? If you're under medical care, please see your doctor. Don't be foolish. You understand what I'm saying, okay? Um, some of you may want to go without a meal and just pray. Maybe dinner. Maybe you come home instead of eating that wonderful dinner, you and your spouse or your kids just get on your knees and pray. The idea is prayer. It's not the fasting. We're not being, in a sense, beating our bodies to be righteous. We are obeying scripture because God's offered us this wonderful, special opportunity of a corporate fast and prayer. And he he promises to meet us in a unique way there. So I want to build your faith for that, okay? So let me encourage you in that. Again, if you're a guest... Let me just say, the most important thing is, 
do you want to be with God? Young people, do, do you want to be with God? There's a lot of things you want to do. Do you want to be with God? He wants to be with you. That's why Christ came to die for us. So what I'd like to do now is have us all bow our head in prayer. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And then after that prayer, we're going to, we're going to jump up and worship God because of what Christ has done. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have right now to put our faith not in ourselves, even the fact that we got ourselves to church this morning, or how good we think we are, the fact that we prayed this morning, or we gave alms to the poor, or we give a tithe to the church, or maybe we help people. Maybe we were particularly kind to our spouse this morning or our children. Lord, our trust is not in any of that. Lord, our trust is in this, that Christ suffered for us, that he suffered for my sins, that he made a way for me to come to the Father, past tense, and that present tense, that reality I could experience today, ongoingly. So Father, I pray in my heart that I would experience, Lord, the good of what your Son did on my behalf. That it would not be in vain that Christ died. That I would not try to self-atone and make my own way before you. But, oh, Lord, I trust totally in what your Son did. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. The Godhead three has come to draw me to yourself. To draw us to yourself. And we want to say yes, Lord. We believe. Help our unbelief. There may be some here this morning, Father, who think they've done so many wrong things that there's no way you would accept them. Oh, Lord, overcome that unbelief and that wrong thinking with the truth of this passage. Draw them, Lord. Draw us, Lord. And Lord, we now just give you this, this song. Lord, it's just to, 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 to declare to you, we're going to nail our righteousness to the cross and we only trust in your righteousness. And therefore, we have confidence because your righteousness, it never changes. Hallelujah.